So I have to say that it tickles me that we've got this reading uh, just before a church camping trip. <laughs> the funny thing is, last year, the, on the Tuesday morning prayer before um, Belchamps, we had this reading, and I remember typing into the WhatsApp group, sleep well, campers. Uh, and here we are, the week before um, Belchamps, considering once again murder by tent peg. What are the chances? But perhaps this repetition is fitting, because we do see that repetition in Judges, don't we? Mike talked about that cycle um, last week. Uh, the Israelites rebel, they're oppressed, they repent, they're rescued, rebel, rinse, repeat. We see that in um, some of the refrains that we see through the book of Judges. Things like, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what he saw fit in his own eyes. Those are phrases that we see. And also, we see this in um, chapter four, verse one. Again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you think, oh, they've done it again. We know what's coming. Okay, today I'd like us to consider this. Who wins the victory? Who gets the glory? Let's start with Sisera. Now, despite his 900 chariots with iron, the victory is definitely not his. We know that, don't we? But in chapter five, which we didn't read through just for time, um, they paint an imagined picture of Sisera's mum and her friends imagining his victory, imagining his plunder. And part of that imagined plunder is a woman or two for each man, as though women were possessions. It's a nod to slavery and sexual exploitation. And I want to be absolutely clear, this is not how God meant for things to be. He never meant for women to be treated like possessions. If we go all the way back to Genesis and the creation story, woman isn't created with animals, which are treated as possessions often, aren't they? <clears throat> woman is created at the point God sees there is no suitable helper for man. And we've kind of dumbed this down over the years, but when woman is described as um, a help for man, the word that's used um, and my Hebrew pronunciation, if anyone actually speaks Hebrew, is probably poor, but the word is Ezer. And that word, other than used to describe woman, is only used to describe a powerful military force coming to rescue, or is used to describe God himself. So this idea of woman as a help to man is a powerful help. So I think we have two really good examples of easers in our reading today in Deborah and Jael. Not the picture of women as possessions that we read of in chapter five. So we know, don't we, that Sisera doesn't win the victory. So let's move on and consider Barak. Now, um, some of you might have come across um, people who would criticize Barak for asking Deborah to go with him. But is that fair? Deborah in um, verse four, chapter four, verse four, is described as a leader or a judge of Israel and a prophet. So I think it's understandable that Barak would say, 
Deborah represents God's presence. So of course I want Deborah with me because I want God's presence with me. And scholars um, even draw similarities between what Barak says here about Deborah and what Moses says in um, Exodus 33. Uh, Moses says, if your presence does not go out with us, do not send us up from here. They know that having God's presence with them is all important. Perhaps we might consider for a moment who it is we want to be with us, especially in times of difficulty. That idea of withness is such an important part of the narrative of Scripture. Again, if we think back to creation, we think about God walking with Adam and Eve. He was with them. Then we think about the tabernacle and the temple where God's presence dwells with his people. And eventually, God sends Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. Who is it that we're turning to? Who is it that we want to be with us, especially when we're under pressure? Barak is mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the list of heroes of the faith. So perhaps he's not quite the failure that some would make him out to be. What is clear, though, is that whilst he's part of the victory um, story, he doesn't get the credit, he doesn't get the glory. Uh, the way that our Bibles, our NIV that we've just read it from, translates uh, verse 9 suggests that there's a bit of a cause and effect um, that because Barak asks Deborah to go with him, therefore he doesn't get the glory. But actually, lots of translations don't um, give that same cause and effect. It's just something that's simply stated. Deborah kind of says, yeah, I'll go with you, but FYI, this isn't going to be a story that leads to your glory. But surely, if we're living for God's glory, that's fine. There is a danger, isn't there, especially in the days of um, mega church and social media, that we can start to pursue our own greatness, buy into our own PR and be all about our own glory rather than God's glory. And in recent years, with great sadness, we've seen the way in which that can go wrong, especially when the emphasis is placed on the ministry of one specific gifted person. We must always be pursuing God's glory and be willing to play the part that he gives us. Barak is obedient to God and he's celebrated both in um, Judges 5 and the song that they sing and in Hebrews 11. Barak isn't the one that gets to put a stop to Sisera, the enemy, and significantly, he doesn't feel he needs to be. He's willing to play his part in the story. When we are willing for God to get the glory, we're released from the oppressive force of self-seeking and we place ourselves in a much better position to be used by God. God uses whom he chooses and he does so for his glory. So we've thought about Sisera, we've thought about Barak. Let's now consider Deborah. 
Now, the fact that we have an Old Testament leader who is a woman is significant. You might be aware of New Testament passages which talk about um, women not even speaking in church, let alone leading in church. And I wanted to just address this because I would hate to think that people are under the impression that as John's, we just disregard those bits of scripture. That's not the case. Uh, we take scripture very seriously here. It's the primary way that we get to know and understand God. But as with everything, we have to take those passages of scripture and understand them within the context of the book that they're sitting in and then the overall narrative of scripture. We have to understand the context that they were written in and then we have to think about what that means for us today. And then we hold passages, um, so passages that might talk about women not speaking in church, we have to try to make sense of those passages alongside passages which give instructions for how women should pray and prophesy, which both require women to speak in a gathered setting. So, there's some work to do, isn't there, in understanding. And we also hold those passages next to passages like ours today, where Deborah is very clearly used by God in a leadership role. We don't have time to unpack this, and I recognize it's a meaty um, issue and something that people might grapple with. So if this is a sticking point for you, whether it's just that you want to understand this more, or particularly if you're a woman and you feel that perhaps God might be calling you to some kind of ministry, but you've got mixed feelings about it, you're not sure about your thoughts in ministry, I've got a list of resources, so do please come and speak to me afterwards, and I'd love to share those with you. I'm not saying that they'll necessarily give you hard and fast, but at least you've got some resources then to be able to explore the matter further. But as I say, I want to be clear, it's as a result of studying scripture rather than disregarding scripture scripture, that I am persuaded God blesses women in leadership just as he blesses men in leadership. I also want to say that we can disagree on this without being disagreeable. These are the sorts of hot topics that people sometimes fall out over. And actually, we want to be able to respond in in real grace, don't we? When Tom Lowe first spoke to me about whether or not God might be calling me to ordained ministry, I really had to do some grappling with, you know, what do I think about women in ministry? And so I read a load of books, and one of the books I read uh, was this one here, A Year of Biblical Womanhood by Rachel Held Evans. It's, <laughs> it's, a quirky, it's a quirky book, but I really enjoyed it, and I got to the end of the book, and, uh, and I felt like I'd made a new friend. So then I Googled her to find out what else she'd done, and what I found is that she died three months earlier. What I also didn't know was that, also um, many of you will know that Tim Keller is another one of my um, heroes of the faith. And, uh, and what I hadn't realized was she gave Tim Keller quite a lot of grief on Twitter um, because Tim Keller actually wasn't very affirming of women in leadership. And so she would often um, tweet things about some of the things that he'd written. When, um, he di- when she died, Tim Keller tweeted this. As many of you will know now, Rachel Held Evans died today. Kathy and I began praying for her as soon as we heard about her illness. We grieve so much for her family who have lost a wife and mother. 
such grace. He could have just ignored it because she, she probably had been quite difficult. He could have just ignored it, but he was so gracious, recognizing her as a sister in Christ. Oh, why do I do these things to myself? As you know, Tim Keller himself went to be with the Lord last month, and I imagine Tim Keller and Rachel Help Evans bumping into each other in heaven. And do you think they'll be like, right, let's get our Bibles and sit down and thrash out this gender issue once and for all? I don't think so. I think they'll be saying, isn't Jesus amazing? That gives us some kind of focus, doesn't it? Some kind of perspective. Judges 4 doesn't give us any explanation about the fact that Deborah, as a woman, is in leadership. It just is, and we get on with the rest of the story. Nothing to see here, folks. Just as the thief on the cross next to Jesus shows us that we don't need to do anything to earn salvation other than trusting in Jesus, so Deborah shows us that women in leadership is something that God blesses. And by the way, she's not the only woman in the Bible in leadership. Those of you who were at Romans Fest, when you covered Romans 16, I'm sure will have noticed a number of women that God used powerfully in the early church. God uses whom he chooses. Now, when Deborah says um, that Sisera will be given into the hands of a woman, we might be left thinking, well, that is Deborah, but it isn't. Uh, And that brings us neatly on to Jael. She's the woman that Deborah refers to in chapter four, verse nine, and she is credited with overpowering Sisera. And while she's celebrated here, (laughs) I wonder if any of you know anyone called Jael. I bet lots of you know a Deborah or a Debbie, Debs, but I bet very few of us, if any of us, know anyone called Jael. Jael is not the female hero we want our children to emulate. It takes violence to bring about this victory. It's gruesome. We don't know how Jael happens to be in the right place at the right time, but significantly, she doesn't disqualify or excuse herself from action. She's not saying, oh, there's an enemy loose that needs defeating, but I'm a weak little woman, what can I do? She's not saying that, is she? I imagine, perhaps a little bit naughty, but I imagine Jael a bit more like, well, there's an enemy on the loose that needs defeating, hold my beer. Jael steps fully into the opportunity that God provides for her. God seems to use this woman and her tent peg. I wonder whether we might ever excuse ourselves from serving God. I couldn't do that. I'm only a fill-in-the-blank What seems to qualify JL is her whereabouts and her willingness. God uses whom he chooses. 
So who does win the victory then? Well, often as I'm preparing to preach, one of the things that I'll do is copy and paste the passage into a word cloud generator. I don't know if you've come across word clouds before. They tend to just give you a a visual representation of which words have been used most um, in in that passage. And so I did that with chapter five, the song. And so here is our word cloud. And you see that this isn't Barak's story or Deborah's story or JL's story. This is God's story for God's glory. The reality is that the victory is God's. And he's used a variety of instruments and people to bring that about. Let's just have a quick run through. So you might want to have your Bibles open to have a look at some of these. In chapter four, verse 14, um, Deborah describes God as going before Barak. And in verse 15, it's God who routed Sisera's army. In verse 23, it's God who subdues Jabin the king. Then moving on to chapter five, um, in verse four, God is depicted as marching out into battle, the earth shaking, the heavens pouring down water. In verse five, the mountains quaking before God. And then in verse 20, from heavens the stars fought against Sisera. And verse 21, the river Kishon swept them away. God uses whom or what he chooses, and the victory is his. When we get a bit focused on who it is that God is using, I wonder, have we lost sight of the fact that the work, the power, is all God's? God has invited Barak, Deborah, and Jael to be players in his story for his glory. Did you know that Jesus is referred to in the Bible as a tent peg? Um, We've got this, I think, Zechariah 10 um, coming up. Uh, It says, Therefore the people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd, My anger burns against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the people of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. We're used to Jesus being the cornerstone, aren't we? We don't have many songs about Jesus as the tent peg. In this reading in um, Zechariah, God is lamenting the fact that Israel doesn't have a good shepherd. Much the same way as in Judges, there's a sense that the people don't have a king. So both of them point towards a time that God would provide a true king, a good shepherd. I suspect what's meant by Jesus as the tent peg is the one who holds things secure. However, and if this feels too tenuous, do feel free to just disregard it. But I wonder, 
Might this passage, our passage today in Judges, also be an echo of something to come? Just as Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days is an echo of Jesus in the um, tomb for three days, just as Isaac as the sacrifice is an echo of Jesus as the sacrifice, could it be that the tent peg hammered through Sisera's head, hammered through the enemy of the Israelites, could this be an echo of Jesus crushing the head of our enemy, just as God promised he would in Genesis 3? God uses whom he chooses for his glory because it's his story. And in this situation, it brought about peace for 40 years. Uh, Now, when we consider that tent peg, and I think we've got a slide for this, let's have a look at this. This is actually a Persian tent peg. I couldn't find an ancient Israelite tent peg. But something like this. So when we think about that tent peg, it might remind us of another violent act which brought about peace, where something sharp pierced flesh to bring about death. At the cross, Jesus brought peace for us, peace with God. We would never know peace with God without the violence of the cross. Of course, Unlike Sisera, Jesus doesn't stay dead. Ultimately, Jesus is the victor. His saving work changes everything for us. If we don't have a deep conviction of that, we need to meditate on that. Jesus' work at the cross changes everything for us. God uses whom he chooses for his glory because it's his story but he invites us to be a part of it. Surely then, it's his company we should long for, particularly in difficult situations. It's his presence we should treasure. It's his withness we should delight in, and his glory we should live for. We, like Deborah, and Barak and JL are happily invited to be a part of his story. God uses whom he chooses, however other people might see us. Are you willing to play the part God wants you to play? Let's surrender ourselves to him afresh. Let's lay aside our own limitations, our own disqualifications, our own ambition, our own glory. Let's not spend ourselves worthlessly. Instead, let's attune our heart to his, that we might spend our lives for his glory alone. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are great and mighty, that you are victorious, 
Thank you that Jesus has won the battle over sin and death for us. And Lord, we do long to live in response to that. Lord, would you help us to surrender those things which are unhelpful and to give ourselves to you afresh. Lord, have your way in our lives. Would you speak to us and show us what you would want us to do? Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.